Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Lifters League podcast. Um, in this episode, we talk with Luke Lehman. So, uh, Luke Lehman is someone I know in a weird way because we actually never met, but we knew each other. We knew each other because we had the same business name for quite a few years. Um, he's from America where he had Muscle Nerds, and I had here in Australia Muscle Nerd. And when he moved over here to uh, Australia, you know, he, he found who I was and I kind of discovered him as well. Mm-hmm. And um, we end up bumping into each other in Canada. And uh, since then, I've learned a fair bit why he's had made such a successful business here in Australia. So he runs a basically an education business, run, owns a gym, personal training studio, online coaching. Um, but he's primarily for what I've known him as is working in education from the times he worked in the Polican Group. And if um, listeners don't know, the Polican Group is one of the biggest educational uh, strength coaching uh, programs that have gone around for many, many, many years. Mm. And um, he was one of the lecturers in there. So we didn't talk about anything specific, but... We talked a bit about everything. <laughs> we, co- we, we covered pretty much everything, I think. It goes through what it was like to work for the Polygon Group, kind of what happened after that. We talked through um, metabolic stuff, nutrition, supplementation. Bodybuilding comp, right? Bit of, <laughs> yeah. Talked about drugs. Bit of lifting culture in there as well. So we, we cover all the bases in this one. So, But it was a great chat, so enjoy. Yeah. Texan, yeah, not yeah. American Texan. <laughs> Texan, it's different, isn't it? Absolutely, Separatist state. They have very um, Americans are very projected voices. Yes, very loud. <laughs> yeah, All right, we're good to go. We are rolling. Um, so you know, uh, you know how I used to be called Muscle Nerd. I knew you were doing this. You don't remember how I used to be called Muscle Nerd? How you used to be called Muscle Nerd? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, this is his brand, Muscle Nope, it is plural. <laughs> muscle Nerds. So no trademark because of the yes, but... <laughs> um, but funnily, funnily enough, like, that's how I end up discovering, discovering him because we had the same business name. Oh, right, so I had okay. a full website and everything, and then saw your website and had a look had a, had a look through that a few times, and then um, end up having getting some of his client. I'm um, not not getting your clients, but I had a lot of clients of yours wanting to see you mm. coming to see um, calling me up, and I was just so confused about the conversations they were having because it's just you know, two different two different services. So um, it wasn't the same for you as well. It, it not really no. I mean, I, I didn't know about you until I moved here. Yeah. And so because when we started the company, we were basically had just left Polican Group, and I had come up with that name earlier, or one of my colleagues had come up with that name. So I had a Facebook uh, profile that right. was Muscle Nerd Lehman, and I thought, man, that'd be a great, that'd be a great business name, and I couldn't yeah. find it anywhere. So we trademarked it, and when I left, it's kind of my plan B if I left Polican Group. Because mm-hmm. I knew I was going to leave eventually because mm-hmm. they fire everybody eventually. So right, okay. I had a plan B. And uh, when we moved to Brisbane, because my wife was living here for about eight years, so we decided to move here um, instead of moving to Texas. And when I got here, my friend goes, hey, do you know who Gus is? I went, who? He goes, he's the muscle nerd. 
you should you should look him up and i looked it up and i oh shit like is this i mean are we infringing on anything and we're like well we've got the trademark so i don't know and i don't know him and then Mm. and then i saw you at swiss and he went up and said hi to you yeah we shared a really awkward moment yeah i was a bit grumpy were you i was so jet lagged absolutely right so this is the symposium that was where was it in canada in canada right Mm -hmm. okay so you were jet lagged to fuck right yeah yeah and um what did you end up speaking about? Uh, I spoke about my least mode in prepping the prep, like getting people ready to even begin a contest prep mm. instead of just jumping into it, like mm. trying to get healthy first and then working on a bodybuilding show. I think there's like a, a saying I have, it's like it's preparing the body to weather a storm because mm-hmm. no matter what prep in any sport is, is fucked on the body. Yeah. 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 You know, um, and we can't have any freaking sort of balance no matter what because it's an extreme end of of anything you know um but being able to handle that prepare but that's it um it, um interesting because it's like um it's a similar philosophy for i guess some of the things i follow what were some of the things you covered in in that in that talk yeah some of the things is like looking at people's metrics looking at their blood pressure looking at the resting heart rate mm-hmm. looking at hrv as a measure of their uh, allostatic load mm-hmm. um, and then talking about getting people in the shape to actually jump into a prep because i over the decades, I've had so many people come to me and they say, well, I want to do a bodybuilding show. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. It's mainly women that come and they want to do bikini or physique, whatever. Okay. And they're not in any shape to even begin prep. And somebody at a different gym said, well, I'll put you on stage in 12 weeks. Mm-hmm. So, well, he said he could do 12 weeks. I'm like, no, you're about eight months out of a show. And they go, well, you know, three months versus eight months. I said, fine, I can, I'll put you on a show this week, you know, show this weekend. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, there's no prerequisite except pay your thing and get on stage. But do you want to get on stage? Do you want to win? Mm. And do you also want to blow up after this, after the contest? And they'd say, well, no, I don't want to blow up and get fat after the contest. Like, okay, we need to get you even ready to even get ready to prep. So we'll start prepping. Then I'll tell you when your bodybuilding show is. I'll tell mm. you when you're ready. And so I did that for, you know, two decades. And then I got to the point where I got tired of, fixing people that were jumping in the shows when they weren't ready and then they'd lose their period their hair would fall out they'd put on 25 kilos of fat after it they couldn't yeah. they couldn't they were eating like seven to nine hundred calories and training 21 hours a week and i'm like you, you can't do this mm. and so we'd have to we'd have to rectify and fix stuff after they'd already fucked themselves up this sounds familiar <laughs> we've had this conversation about a hundred times and yeah we're literally just saying before how we've had several different disciplines people we've spoken to and the problems are all the same people want immediate results um and it's just not possible they're just it's just not just not a thing it's also like as as the coach good coach is finding their 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 drive their their real goal their real motivation behind doing 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 that is it to be athletic or is it because you just want to look good and yeah you know and then it's like well if your goal is just to look good just look good yeah you know you don't need to do a show to look good Mm, do, right. a, do a photo shoot do something that doesn't have a time limit on it yeah yeah, you know? yeah, 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 yeah. because like you said there's nothing healthy about competition it doesn't matter what you, you can play competition badminton and you're gonna have to go to extreme if you want to be at the best yeah i was interested in what you just said before like pre like pre-prep getting ready for prep was the uh with uh measuring metrics and hrv and I, it's actually something that i'm not too familiar with but heard a lot about have heard a lot about it in terms of assessing recovery in some aspects or um, understanding in some aspects what the nervous system is doing. Can you shed a bit of light on what 
what you do with HRV? Yeah, so what we'll do initially, we, we look at everything that's happening in somebody's life. Yep. So cause people, they need to understand that training is a stressor, dieting is a stressor, mm. a caloric surplus is a stressor, mm. a caloric deficit is a stressor. Uh, anytime you're pushing yourself to extremes, that's going to be a stressor. So if you're already stressed out and beasting life, the last thing you need to do is compound that with a lot of crazy training. Mm. And that's what people do. And they mm. don't n understand why they're getting injured. They don't understand why they start not sleeping well, why they lose mm. their appetite. And, you know, and so we, we look at the HRV as an indicator of your autonomic tone. If your yeah. HRV is really low, then you're probably not going to recover well and your endocrinology is not going to work well either. So we need to get that high to get you ready to actually train hard. And then we'll monitor that from time to time. So we compound that with a lot of symptoms. So if you've got gut dysfunction, if you're, if we think you have some type of maybe clinical hypothyroidism or subclinical hypothyroidism, you cold hands and feet, really low blood pressure, really high blood pressure, um, not sleeping well, there's a host of, of physiological symptoms you look at, and then we've got that subjective data, but then we could combine that with some objective measurements, like is your heart rate really high or really low, or is it in the right range? Is your blood pressure too high or too low? Is the HRV too low? So when the HRV is too low, that shows that you're in a massively sympathetic state. And so if you go train and your body thinks you're you know, basically fighting a, a, a bear when you're squatting, your body doesn't know you're doing squats to mm. build nice legs. It doesn't know you're on the echo bike trying to get more conditioned. Yeah. There's only one reason why a human would be going that fast is if it was running away from something. Right. So yeah. your body's gonna respond in a sympathetic way. And if you're sympathetic outside of the gym because you have a toxic relationship at home, you hate your job, you hate your kids, you got all this shit going on, it doesn't make sense to then go bash yourself at the gym, which a lot of people use the gym as a stress relief. Yeah, they do, yeah. Not understanding, you're just compounding more stress and then eventually, your hypothalamus is going to see that things aren't working well and it's going to mount a reaction. So it's going to start doing things like lowering your thyroid. It's going to start lowering adrenal output or raising adrenal output really high, but eventually something's going to break, mm -hmm. right? And it's all protective things that your body does. But what people need to understand is that the autonomic nervous system is there for an acute stressor. It's not supposed to be revved up chronically all the time. So if it's revved up chronically all the time, it's like you're, you're putting your car in first gear and getting on the motorway and you're trying to drive 100 kilos or 100 kilometers and you never go in a second, third or fourth gear. So eventually what would happen to your car if you did that? Yeah, revved it into the ground. Yeah, yeah it's run into the ground. Yeah. So, but that's exactly what people are doing. What's your ideal, what's your ideal picture for an athlete before starting? My ideal would, they would have what we consider pretty much gold standard blood pressure, mm -hmm. which would be somewhere around you know, the gold standard that we see in the literature is 115 over 75. Right. And we don't give people those static numbers because then they get obsessed about it. Mm -hmm. so if they're at 118, they freak out. If they're at 105, they freak out. So we give ranges. Mm -hmm. So for most men, we want to see them between 100 uh, to 120 over around 60 to 80. Women, we tend to go a little bit lower because they tend to be a little bit hypotense. Um, but if, they're, if their blood pressure is really high, which we see a lot, I, I used to... Um, when I teach, I take a blood pressure cuff and I'll hand it to all the coaches in the room. And I'm like, you guys need to take your blood pressure because you probably never have. Mm -hmm. And I remember in London, I had 60 students and only four people had normal blood pressure. It was me and three people I trained. And we had a guy that had 210 over 100 blood pressure. Shouldn't he be dead? <laughs> he looked dead. <laughs> yeah. He actually looked dead. And he's a Polish. He's a huge unit. Like right. I think he won Mr. Euro Europe, uh, Universe Europe two years ago or something. And okay. So it was, again, for a very specific purpose, bodybuilder. So, of course, he's you know, gassed to the gills and, you know, he's suffering a bit to try to win. Mm. So you're going to see that sometimes. But 
I, I was appalled that the rest of the coaches that didn't have any excuse to have really high blood pressure, they were all stage one, stage two hypertension, not even pre-hypertense. Like they were 130 to 140 on up. Mm -hmm. And so we were giving, basically giving awards to people with the highest blood pressure. I think he was 210, another guy was 180 over 100. And that got them really thinking about shit. I really need to be doing this with my clients. I need to get my own health in order. So, so what, what interventions do you, do, do you have people who come to you where, where you, they're way outside the ranges you're happy with? Is your first stage to stage an intervention on that and, and then move into what the other stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. and okay. that's, that's pretty much what the prepping the prep is. Right, okay. If you come to me and you're 180 over 100, mm. the last thing we're gonna do is a lot of heavy lifting. It's creating a lot of vascular pressure. Right. You're not getting on the leg press. You're not gonna be doing heavy squats. Nothing where you have to brace. Um, we're doing a lot more metabolic type work, so submaximal lifts with higher reps. A lot of those people too are injured. Yeah. So we have to do more structural integrity type work, split squats, step ups, higher reps, unilateral work, things like that. Um, once we iron all that stuff out, and it doesn't take that long to iron out blood pressure. It's, it's fairly simple. You, know, you give somebody a, a good bit of aerobic activity, so we might give them five to eight weeks of aerobics and higher rep lifting, unilateral stuff. And then once the, all that stuff is, is nice and normal and we're comfortable with the range, then we move into more specific preparation. Mm. Okay. So, I mean, what, then what then? So, I mean, what are the consequences of people not looking after their, just say, just blood, like blood pressure in itself and then start going into, start going into prep? Well, I mean, are you likely to hurt yourself right then? Probably not. But if you wash, rinse, and repeat that long enough, you're going to move yourself more towards some type of cardiovascular episode. So you're mm. looking at things like heart attack, stroke, whatever. Mm. If, you're, if you don't have a pliable vascular system and you continue to lift really heavy and you don't take care of your stress and you don't get enough sleep, eventually over time, you're going to get placking and something's going to happen. So what about, what about, what about, what condition are we looking at in terms of like, say training, training nutrition wise? I know personally, it's like, you know, if I get someone who has been chronically overtrained, is that my job is to get them to a point where they are only training at a point where there's like quite, you know, quite sustainable, quite healthy three, yeah. four days a week um, of training. And they're not doing that for freaking hours and hours and hours. Can we sustain, can we sustain a lower, you know, lower training threshold is this something similar yeah it's very similar it's yeah. low, we give lowest effective dose mm -hmm. i'm not saying that somebody can't lift heavy but they want to limit you know it's mm -hmm. like they say the dose poison makes the dose makes the poison right so mm -hmm. if they if it's a power lifter and they need to lift heavy then okay we'll do three sets of three and then we'll move on to metabolic work and we'll, all their accessory work will be more metabolic in nature Mm -hmm. um, and then we get, we try to get them to do a lot more aerobic activity because that's the one thing that the, the industry doesn't like to do is they think that, you know, you're trying to make them a marathon runner. That's not the point. I'm trying to get you to do, you know, under 65% VO2 max for extended periods of time so we can restructure the morphology of the heart so that if you expand the left ventricle cavity, you can balance out the thickness of the left ventricle, the blood pressure goes down and then the vascular system gets more pliable. So are we looking, are you looking at just like, particular health health markers or are you preparing them in terms of the work capacity and nutritional stress they're going to be able to take through training and nutritional interventions yeah and that's what's that's the interesting thing too we find that if we get somebody to a sufficient level of aerobic activity their work capacity goes up so when they go back to training they can actually lift more longer so they mm -hmm. don't fatigue their lactate threshold gets better um, they're not uh, crippled after they train, they can recover much faster so they can lift more often. Mm. Um, so we've only seen benefits of that, you know, as long as you, you know, stay in, stay in the rules, right? If somebody's training for a marathon, they're probably not going to get stronger. 
But if, if we're talking about 30 minutes, maybe 60, even up to 60 to 90 minutes of easy aerobic activity every day, it's not really something that you have to uh, recover from. But from the nutritional standpoint, we're doing all of this for the aerobic adaptations. We're not doing it to chase calories or lose body fat, at least not, not directly. Mm -hmm. So if we look at the nutrition side, we might be giving them a small nutritional deficit just to make sure that we don't have any inflammatory issues from being in a, a surplus. Mm -hmm. but most of the people that come to us aren't eating enough anyways, yeah. or they're not eating yeah. enough every day. What they're doing is basically mm -hmm. binging and purging. So they, that's me. So yeah, so yeah, like Monday through Friday, people have a really good structure because they're working. Yeah, we literally just had this conversation. Yeah. yeah. So you give someone 2,400 calories during the week, but they're in meetings and skipping meals. They're yeah, not, yeah. they're not meal prepping properly. So they end up eating like 1600. And then on the weekend, their brain goes, yeah, fuck you. I'm going to make you eat and, and make all these calories up. And then they end up blowing it out over the weekend and eating 10, 15,000 calories over the weekend. So they're actually globally in a surplus. But they're spending five or six days starving themselves and then making it up over, you know, a 36 hour period. Mm -hmm. Every time you do that, it only takes you know, three to five days of starving yourself is enough to lower your metabolic rate. And you generally need about three days of overfeeding to try to rectify that. So people will overfeed Friday night, booze and going out to eat. They'll do it Saturday and then they feel guilty. So they start starving themselves Sunday. And they'll starve themselves until Friday and they'll do it over again and over again. And you do this for long enough and your metabolic rate continues to drop. So that surplus continues to get relationally higher and higher and higher. So you keep putting on more and more fat. This is why we were talking talking about not having and there should be no such thing as as a cheat. No such cheat day is like day. you yeah. know, should be calculated re refit refeeds, refeeds. because yeah. it change it'll change every cycle. Yeah. Every time. So um have you done much bodybuilding prep with people? Yeah, tons. Yeah. Tons, but I hate it. I don't want to do it anymore. So we had we had we had this conversation before I completely stopped doing taking on bodybuilders. Right, okay. Why? Too much work. They're fucking crazy. Yeah. <laughs> they all have mommy daddy a, issues. It's just an eating disorder dressed up as a yeah. human, yeah. Oh man, like just like four, five, six, seven times more work than yeah. some of my than, than my strength athletes. You know, and just I, I, the thing I, the thing I don't get about bodybuilding is it's it's a subjective aesthetic sport. At, at least in powerlifting, there are numbers you can mm -hmm. reach a number. There are waypoints you can aim for. There is no I've made it point with bodybuilding, right? You, you, you're yeah. you're never good enough. You're never big enough. You're never lean enough. Like you're just asking for a mental breakdown, aren't you? Really, it's just it must be. Yeah. And once you've been really lean. Anything above that is too fat. I'm fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Once you've been dick skin lean, 8% is fat to you. Of course. So it, it yeah. just, it fucks with your head. And, uh, and so people never have an off season. They just want to be shredded all the time. You can't progress like that. You can't just keep starving yourself mm. for years and years and years. You're going to end up paying it back. It's like a metabolic credit card. It's, it's, it's simply the whole freaking paradigm or culture behind bodybuilding is simulating that disordered thinking in the first place. I mean, yeah. it's like you have to, <laughs> you're, you're constantly trying to get rid of fat and that's all you're thinking about. I'm fat. Mm -hmm. now, even though mm. you're freaking, you know, 10%, 8%, which is very, very fucking lean. A true 8% but, is really fucking lean, a lot leaner than most people think. Mm. So go, yeah. yeah, the word true is important there, isn't it? Because that's the other thing that gets skewed. They, like I, a lot, I've seen a lot of bodybuilders say they're a percentage, but they they skew it towards the larger side because in their own head they're fatter than they want to be, mm. right? 
So that's another thing. Like they just, it's it's too subjective for me. It's just yeah. no wonder they're crazy, right? Um, I'm interested what you did with the Polyquin group. I actually didn't realize oh, until wait. didn't realize you actually like that's where you, where you're doing most of your work before yeah. Muscle Nerds. Yeah. So uh, I learned of Charles in the early '90s through mm -hmm. Muscle Media and TMag. Yeah. You know, when it was Testosterone.net. Yeah. And uh, so at the time, I think I was 13 or 14 when I started studying all of his stuff. I said, I've got to meet this guy at some point. So I saved up, saved up, saved up. And in 2007, I went and met him and did my PICP-1 in my first biosig course. And uh, then I was hooked. Like back then, the culture of when it wasn't Pollock Group, it was, you know, Pollock Strength Institute. And it was, there was a massive culture there that you didn't find anywhere else. You mm -hmm. know, kind of like what CrossFit has now. We were yeah. all a bit crazy and we're on the same, you know, we were, Everybody that was in it were like absolute animals. It's a cult, yeah. It was it was almost like a yeah. cult, but it was a, it was good though. It was a yeah. good cult, right? And you'd go to seminars and everyone would be training and just killing each other, mm. and uh, and it was fun. It was like a, a brother and sisterhood. Mm. And you would go, you would you would call friends and you would go to the same seminars and stay with each other. And all you do is just eat shit, sleep, and train. And it was glorious. And uh, eventually, I got asked to come on as a coach, so I came on and I did assistant stuff, mainly teaching biosig. And uh, later on, I ended up coming on full time. And uh, at that point, I put all of my stuff in storage, moved away from Texas for the first time, moved to Rhode Island, which is the worst fucking state in the world to live in. I was fucking horrendous. And I got there and I went, where's Charles? And they're like, he's no longer with the company. And I went, what? And then Andre, his Andre Benoit, his right hand man was gone too. And Ryan Finley, another coach was gone. And so I showed up at the first meeting. I went, where is everybody? They're like, uh, they're gone. And I go, sweet. You sh didn't think to tell me this before I packed all my shit in the storage and flew across the country. Awesome. And then, but then it was too late. I was already there. I just had to do what, you know, had to start teaching and basically had to take over what he did mm. and try so to. So Poliquin wasn't part of it anymore. No, no. Um, there was this like massive coup with his ex-wife. Uh, some, you know, Charles did some stupid things, you know, um, but, you know, she basically raked him over the coals like, and just made his life a living hell for the last the last few years of it. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I got like kind of stuck in the middle of everything. And I was like, well, fuck it. I'm just here. I'm just going to do my job. I'm going to travel and teach. And then I got to the point where I, I wouldn't even go back to Rhode Island. I would just I'd fly to Europe and I'd stay with friends and I'd be like, oh, tell me when I need to come back for a meeting. I'd fly home, go to a meeting and I'd leave immediately. I, I just wow. refuse to live there. Um, yeah, it's a fucking horrible place. It's cold. What? <laughs> it's cold all the time. It's like eight months of freaking cold and gray and just miserable. You, you just described my childhood. I, I grew up in Manchester in the UK, and they call it they call it the rainy city in yeah. the UK. And the UK is fucking the rainiest place. So I, I, my childhood was, if it wasn't raining, it was gray and cloudy, and it was going yeah. to rain. There's just two phases to it. And that, hence the reason I flew to. Brisbane. That's the first city I ever went to when I went overseas. Really? Manchester. Yeah, I've been yeah. to Manchester a lot of times. And every time, rains sideways. <laughs> right, it and does, yeah. And it's always that that rain. It's like, is it going to rain or is it just going to kind of just spit on me all day? And that's it's it's just, like a, it is. a fine, misty mm -hmm. kind of rain. That yeah. It's not really raining, so you don't really prepare for it. But then you get in, you're fucking drenched. Oh, God, I hated it. The yeah. worst food I've ever had in any city was Manchester. <laughs> that doesn't shock me either. <laughs> Sorry, man. What's Charles like? Oh, Charles is a maniac. 
Yeah. Charles, it depends. Like Charles, Charles was very, very moody. Like if you were, if, if you were on his good side and he liked you, he was the most generous person I've ever met in my life. And he would help you out. He'd call you on your birthday. You'd be like, holy shit, this dude's calling me on my birthday. But you couldn't understand him because he'd call you and he'd be in Colorado where he lived. So he'd be in the mountains. So his cell phone would be really sketchy. And then he had his thick Montreal accent. Mm. And so you couldn't fucking understand anything he was saying. Um, you would just be like, yes, Charles. Yeah, oh, cool. Yeah, okay. And then you'd realize, oh, it's my birthday today. He's calling me to wish me. Oh, thank you, Charles. You know, you, <laughs> you couldn't understand a fucking word he said. Um, unless you were with him, yeah, yeah. but he was good. Like Charles is good. He was brilliant. He was brilliant. Um, I mean, you think about all the, all the coaches in the industry that wouldn't be where they are without him. Mm. You know, and he was, what I liked about Charles, he was willing to take big leaps. Like he would use not just research, but also anecdotal data, stuff that he saw that worked mm. and his own type of research. And that's kind of why he got a lot of flack because some of the stuff, yeah. some of the stuff he did, he couldn't prove. But he saw that it worked mm. and he would just fuck it. He'd say, he'd teach it. Yeah. And all the evidence-based people, um, which I don't like the word evidence-based for them. It's more research-based. If it doesn't, if it's not in the research, it doesn't exist. Mm. And so um, he was willing to look at both sides of I that. Think that's the, I think that's the thing that separates the people who are at the front, that they're innovating and trying and testing everything because research is never going to catch up or even yeah. if tested. And even then on the right population of people that we're working with, um, what are your ideas, what were your views on how you thought about his, I'll call it, supplement regimes or extreme, methods extreme <laughs> extreme yeah. yeah but you know it's, it's like you said people are being innovative and people are being innovative they're always going to be crucified by people who don't want to be innovative yeah uh, and you know yeah some of the stuff that we did back then with biosig stuff was pretty extreme but it worked um like i i don't do that stuff anymore but I still have the training in it and further research. And a lot of the stuff he said back then is actually being validated now. Like some of this mm -hmm. stuff, and he was getting a lot of his inf information from uh, companies like Metagenics, who tends to be on the forefront of supplementation. So Pure Encapsulations, Metagenics, all of these pharmaceutical so early companies. Ones, only company I use. Metagenics? Metagenics, so yeah. We, we, use, uh, we use Thorn Research. I find them to be very good. Mm. But I just don't have access to Metagenics or I use some of their products too. Yeah. But... Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of the protocols and a lot of the stuff he was doing, now there's a lot of research validating what he was saying. Mm. You know, he had some pretty wild, crazy shit, but most of it was pretty solid. Mm. Yeah, I always found it a bit, um, I think I think that all the industries change, the industry changes all the time, you know, so I guess I find where, in the area, I guess I, the area I'm working at is people pulling more, more away from supplement supplementation. Yeah. Um, because it's the same thing. I mean, if the foundations aren't aren't right, there's no point taking however many grams of vitamin C yeah. he recommended. Yeah. You know, um, what was that what story? There was something I think I heard of somewhere somewhere he kept upping his dose to the point he absolutely shat his pants. I don't know and about then, that. I know he was a big he was a big fan of intravenous IV. Yeah. Like he would take massive doses of that, and yeah. that's wow. now being validated too. Mm. So, mm. Um, and he was the first person in the strength industry to talk about getting IV therapy. And now it's now it's a pretty common thing. Mm. Oh, that's with um, all your you mean you like vitamins and minerals in yeah in the IV like Myers cocktails and things like taking IV uh, glutathione and NAD and NAC and stuff like that. Yeah, different different absorption for it. Is it 
because I always see, I think um, there's some recent research I came across with um, alcartanine, using injectable alcartanine mm-hmm. over over oral, um, having effects as strong as, uh, what's that medication? Um, metformin. Mm-hmm. So they're comparing injectable alcartanine with met, met, metformin to, to see, could also get to a point where it could also almost replace it because it's like 100% bioavailable. Yeah. Um, and they're using it to combat insulin insulin resistance. Yeah. Well, that's that's the problem with L-carnitine in oral form. It takes months and months of consistent use to actually get it where it needs to be. And then there's some other evidence too that if your your microbiome is off a little bit, it can increase TMAO, which can has been indicated associated with heart disease. Mm-hmm. And I found I actually found that out because I was taking two and a half grams of L-carnitine a day, and my wife told me I smelled fishy. And mm. I was like, what do you mean fishy? I don't eat a lot of fish because I don't like, I like fish that doesn't taste like fish, mm. right? Like dory right? And, and prawns and things. Yeah, but yeah. I was like, I don't, I'm not taking a lot of fish oil. I don't know. And I, you can't smell it yourself. And I started looking into it and saw the TM, TMO, TMAO connection. And then mm. I got off the carnitine and the fishy smell went away. So then I worked on my gut a little bit, got back on the carnitine and no more fishy smell. But when you do it IV, you bypass that because you're not actually getting into the gut. So um, when I, whenever I recommend that somebody might need carnitine, like we'll, we'll recommend it mainly to vegans or people who are really overweight might actually need more carnitine. We always tell them to take injectable if they don't have any, any qualms about injecting themselves with something. Mm. But that's also hard because people associate a needle with being a crackhead. Yeah, so, yeah I was going to say, like the average person. person. Yeah. yeah. So when you tell somebody to do three or 400 milligrams of injectable carnitine, they're like, oh, I don't know about that. That's they're yeah. either scared of needles or they're like, I don't want to be a crackhead. It's like, it's, you're not, you just, it's a quick intramuscular injection with a, with a, an insulin pen. It's nothing, mm-hmm. but, um, I've gotten really far away from the supplement side just because I don't want clients to think I'm just trying to sell them stuff they don't need. So we say, you know, good multivitamin, a high powered multivitamin like Metagenics or Thorn or something like that. Fish oil, if you're not eating any fish, um, at least three to six grams a day. Mm-hmm. Um, and then anything above and beyond that, maybe a digestive enzyme or something. That's pretty much where we, we, that's where we draw the line unless it's more prescriptive type stuff. So pretty much exactly the close to my philosophy, yeah. pretty much philosophy. Fish oil has always been, yeah. always been in there. Yeah. Just that ratio, was it, was it? The standard Western diet, something the ratio of omega twenty to one. Yeah, that's minimum too. I, I've seen people on a, a fatty acid spot test upwards of sixty to one. Shit. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's got to be in America, right? That, that's got to be. <laughs> please say me that's America. You, you, they're not betting. They're not too far off here either. I, I Yeah. Yeah. I was gonna say that. Yeah. I remember when I first came to Australia, you didn't see so much fast food here. And then over the years, I've seen more and more fast food. And I've also seen more and more of the population getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah, it's slowly going towards that way, isn't it? Because we have a pretty, I mean, I've always liked the Australian food culture here. Um, but they've always had a pretty good focus on quality, quality, quality restaurants. And But yeah, a lot of those, Amer- a lot of those um, fast food, American. I, I think but, but there's a lot to be said for the fact that I think that, um, there's been a massive marketing push there's lots of money in up market at uh, burgers are the one i think that at the moment it's really hit with because they're fucking cheap to make and if you up market them a little bit more than just 
McDonald's, you can sell them for ten bucks a burger, and yeah. you can make eight dollars, and mm. and they taste really fucking good, right? And it, and then obviously the the Uber Eats thing, you don't even have to go, you don't have to make the commitment to go to the fast food place to get it anymore. You can get it delivered to your door. Like that, they're making it harder and harder for you to make that decision to actually prepare your own food, yeah, or go to a decent restaurant, right? People are lazy. It's only obviously with COVID. That's probably gone 10x over the last few months. People not leaving the houses. Like, and COVID was great on my physique because <laughs> I live in Scarborough, so there's not a not a lot of re- really great restaurants up there. So there's only so much Uber Eats you can do. So I went out and bought an air fryer and started using my Instant Pot and air fryer more, and I got shredded ass. <laughs> air fryers, man. Ca- did you get it from Kmart? No, no, I got the Phillips one. Oh, did you? Yeah. Fuck. So there's 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 an insane Facebook group, right? Um, of people who are doing spot checks at Kmart's for air fryers because as soon as they come in and an alert goes up I had a friend who drove to Caloundra from here to get an air fryer from Kmart <laughs> like people are fucking obsessed with they're amazing though they are they're amazing fucking amazing you can throw anything in them just set forget my wife won't let me get one because we have we have one bedroom apartment I already have too many devices and <laughs> she likes the house to look a certain way right okay got so you. if I get rid of that can I <laughs> the instant so. pot's good too it's, a, it's like a fast slow cooker, like uh, like a pressure cooker. It's a, it's a pressure cooker crock pot thing. Yeah, because yeah. you can you can put like um, you can put like traditional slow cut meats in there and just blast it for forty minutes or whatever, yeah. and it comes out like a stew. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I can make baby back ribs in like twenty five minutes. Yeah. Instead of smoking them for six hours, and it basically tastes the same. <laughs> so um, back to the polycrine group. What were you teaching? So was it Biosig and their certification? Yeah, the strength and conditioning certifications and then also the, the Biosig stuff and then special considerations courses too. We were doing MMA courses and movement courses, stuff like that. Oh. How long were they? How long are those courses? The, those courses are typically two to three days. So I remember one, maybe there was one here. I think there might've been one here, here in Brisbane, but it was many years ago. I haven't seen any, obviously anything. Are they still going? Hell if I know. I know they lost their building. They they built an $11 million building, and then they basically fired all of us who helped write some of the material we're teaching, Yeah. and then they kind of went downhill after that. So I know they've moved out of their building. I heard they got a new office somewhere, but I don't think they're doing much. I think it's they're, they're pretty much done. Mm. I've heard a lot about Biosig, but actually me personally, I don't know too much mm. about it. I've always done three site nine site for bodybuilders but not that often yeah you know um what sets what sets it apart why has it been so some people take up as like as very popular like i it was they had the idea behind was it like certain sites have had a correlation between various various different hormones and things like that yeah. so and there's a lot of when you look at it, there's there's there was a lot of good stuff in Biosig, and there was a lot of like far-reaching concepts that couldn't be proved yet. A lot of it came from Charles's uh, work that he did with the uh, uh, Canadian national team, mm-hmm. where they were doing bloods and things like that back in mm-hmm. the '80s, and he found different correlations between hormones. Um, and then, so kind of his premise was you could spot reduce fat if you got the hormones to reorganize yourself. Um, and we've seen some of that work right now. When I was teaching, I got to the point where I was like, let's not focus on spot reducing, but let's all agree that hormones will make you spot gain, right? So there's a reason why people have a gynoid versus an android, or some people have lots of tricep fat or hamstring fat. 
So if we look at that, we, we know that some of that can be, you know, can, can be contributed by a hormonal imbalance. Mm-hmm. Now, if we, if we get all that stuff back in line with you know, a doctor using pharmaceuticals, like hormone replacement therapy or whatever, or if we do use certain uh, uh, nutraceuticals that we know will do some of the same stuff, can we spot reduce? Maybe, maybe not, but um, we can prevent um, some spot gaining in some of those areas. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there, the problem is there's not enough research on it right now. So everybody said Charles is full of shit. Yeah. But there's thousands of uh, Pollock coaches that have seen how miraculous it can be. So, you know, I don't use a lot of it anymore. Um, I, I prescribe supplements in a different manner based on, you know, looking at labs, looking at bloods and, and mm. uh, organic acids testing and things like that and looking at symptoms. But there's, there's something to it. And they've done some uh, research lately where they would have, I think one of the papers, they had two groups, one lifted with their upper body, one only lifted lower body, and then they would do cardio after their sessions. And the people who lifted lower body lost primarily fat on the lower body. And the people who did the upper body work lost primarily fat on the upper body. So there's something to it. It just hasn't been proven yet. It's interesting because if you say if you say that, I think that's still in the realms of you're a bit crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but you know, people don't want to use empirical observation anymore. They just want to go to the research, which yeah. I think is very limiting. Mm. Because if you're waiting for somebody to put the research out, you're going to be decades behind everybody else who's actually using it and seeing results from it. What about just like uh, there's there's a there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a something in science I've always used as like Occam's razor, the most likely yep. expression. Mm. And it's like, well, if you change someone's diet and training, you're probably going to make a huge impact on, on how their body and their physiology yeah. is adapting. Yeah. But if you're already having a preconceived notion that something is going to make a change hormonally, then, you know, how do we draw those, con- how do we draw those conclusions? Yeah. You know, is that, is that, does that come in the language at all with what they do? Yeah. Or is I mean, all... I'm a big fan of Occam's Razor, and that's what I teach my students too, is yeah. when you have a problem, you need to look at all the various possibility, possible solutions and pick the simplest one, and that's usually one that works. And if it's not, it's probably the second simplest one. Mm. Um, one of the things I think is is a problem with the with the, with teaching people biosig or metabolic analytics or whatever they're doing is most, most of these trainers don't know enough about biochemistry to understand the consequences of giving certain things. Mm-hmm. And they don't understand how any endocrinology, so they don't understand how these things fit together. And if you mess with one thing, you're messing with a lot of different things. So you have to be very careful so you don't mess somebody up. Yeah. And if you don't understand, but I also believe that about nutrition and training, if you don't understand physiology or biochemistry, then you probably shouldn't be giving people nutrition. Would you look at, would you look at just saying like, where you would say like, let's look at health markers, let's look at training, let's look at good nutrition to see what impact that has on the yeah. biochemistry before going down the biochemistry well, route. A- absolutely. I mean, yeah. well, well, before you go down the supplement route, because the thing is, if you just fix their diet, fix their sleep and work on stress management and get them training with stuff they can recover from, that'll, that'll get them 80% of the way there. Mm. And if you look at giving supplements, that should be those outliers that that's not working for them, right? So I, I have a lot of clients at, uh, at the IOPC at our gym that we open, a lot of women with Hashimoto's and autoimmune stuff. And so the stuff can be really valuable with them, but I also understand those types of pathologies. So I know what we can and can't do, and I know the right doctors to get them with. And we see tremendous success when they haven't had any success at all. And that probably goes back to some of the biosig stuff. And then that got me interested in supplementation, that got me interested in learning biochemistry. So I went balls out into that. 
right? Mm -hmm. So when we get women in with, you know, high antibodies, I know what to do to get those down. If they're, mm -hmm. if they're not, if they haven't shit in three weeks because they got gut dysfunction because of low thyroid, I know what to give them that can fix mm. that type of stuff, right? So were you guys doing tests on this by sale? Okay, this this site's associated with, with this. Would you go try to confirm it with bloods and yeah, see, I don't, swabs? And I don't do any of the body fat testing anymore. Okay. That. I just, I go, I'm symptom-based, and then they usually have labs when they come to me. So I'll look at their labs. I'll ask them what their doctor said. I'll fill in the gaps from what their doctor probably doesn't know. Because especially here in Australia where the doctors, you know, uh, a, a businessman I once knew said, uh, said a statement to me. He goes, he lives by the golden rule. He who has the gold makes the rules. Well, here the government has the gold, so they get to make the rules. And so the doctors here, if you have uh, Medicare, they have, a, they have to stay in a certain a box that the government tells them they can, they can mm. stay in. If they try to go outside, they have to lose their license. Mm. So there's no real, in, and, and they're not, they're not outcome-based doctors. So it doesn't matter if they fix people, they just see as many people as they can every hour. Just get them out of the surgery. Yeah, that's, that's the goal. Yeah, yeah. There's no incentive for them to do a good job or to learn other stuff and do continuing education. Mm. Mm. And so it takes other people to fill in those gaps for people sometimes. Yeah. But I go based on labs and, and I look at labs and I look, okay, why is this off? Well, let's look at this. Okay, that's off too. Let's look at this. That's off too. Let's match that with the symptoms. Say, okay. You know, you haven't pooped in three weeks. The doctor wants you to live on laxatives. That's not going to work. Let's give you a digestive enzyme. Give them a digestive enzyme. The next day they take two shits. Mm. You know, it's mm. really basic, easy, easy stuff. Uh, if your antibodies are high, let's try, you know, upping your selenium a little bit. And just try to get the antibodies down. Okay, cool. We dropped your antibodies 70 in two months. That's fantastic. You know, it's stuff like that. Mm. So, I mean, how, how, when, when is this approach ever, like, ever taken then if like most you look at you working with a lot of general pop now mm. i mean you're lucky to get a gen pop to the point where everything is perfect up to scratch. Yeah. yeah so just that be the case that you just probably never end up at a point where you yeah i mean i really don't unless they've got some type of weird pathology or some issue where a supplement might work i don't give them any supplements other than what we said like a you know, whey protein right or vegan protein if they're vegan digestive aid multivitamin, fish oil, that fixes a lot of stuff. Mm. Maybe a little mm. extra magnesium, you know, real basic things. And then after a few months, if we see there's other issues that we might give them something else. If they're not sleeping well, we might give them something, um, mm. tell them to, you know, order some melatonin and try to get it in the country since for one, some reason that's illegal here. <laughs> I think it blows my mind, you know, but you know, we, we try to try to not <laughs> use it. I never realized melatonin was illegal here. Yeah. Cause it's used as, um, she uses a jet lag um, to deal with jet lag. Mm -hmm. I know back I know back home in the UK, everybody pops it when they do long haul. Yeah, um, it's weird because we live furthest away here than it, <laughs> from anywhere than anywhere else. It's in the a world, fantastic yeah. antioxidant. Yeah. It's fantastic to lower cortisol. Uh, it's fantastic to reestablish circadian rhythm, and it's illegal. And if you want it, you go to the doctor, and they charge you sixty dollars a bottle for something you can buy for five bucks. I, I think you've answered why it's illegal there. Yeah, money, money, money. Prescriptions. Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. Mm. I always get your um, your ads on my on my Instagram. Um, it's always it's always it's always, same. it's always a couple. It's always the same one. It's like uh, what, is it, what do you say? Most word, most people are fucking people up. <laughs> yeah, um, I think we're we had we talked a little bit about this yesterday about some of the 
well, I guess most 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 of the most of the trainers you're really getting are more messed up themselves. Yeah. Than, than uh, than others. I mean, what are some of the things you're? I mean, we're seeing is it just poor health practices or unethical approaches to? Oh yeah, I mean, there's there's obviously the unethical thing, but people who are doing unethical stuff tend to not come to our courses. Yeah. So we tend to attract really good coaches that want to learn. Um, they just don't know a whole lot, and mm-hmm. they don't they don't understand how far down the rabbit hole goes until they get balls deep into it. Right. But yeah, there's obviously the unethical things like uh, prep coaches. The first thing they talk about is what steroids are you willing to take? And they haven't even talked about training or diet yet. Yeah. You know, um, and then, you know, coaches taking on clients that they don't know about. They, they don't know anything about that sport or that client or the per- person has a disease and they're like, you're not supposed to take those people. You can't do anything outside of just train them, you know, stuff like that. But uh, a lot of the coaches these days, they just don't have a. They don't have a, a broad uh, level of knowledge and they have no depth of their knowledge. And the, most of the stuff they're getting, they're, they're, they won't pay for education. They try to get all their information for free off of Instagram. Yeah, that's just what cut it. Yeah, and that, what, I've, what I've found is I found a high correlation between the more people follow, that follow you on Instagram, the less you probably know. Because most of the people with yeah. the hundreds of thousands or millions of followers don't know shit. Yeah, and some of those people have been to my courses or done mentorships with me, and they have no idea what the fuck they're talking about. I, it it appeals if you can if you know less, you're more likely to offer the the, the quick fixes, the uh, the black and white options for everything, and that's far more appealing to far more people. That a lot of people would prefer to watch somebody who can tell them they can do all this shit by just taking this pill and just doing this exercise and all that shit with no nuance there, right? Like, it, I, I kind of get that. Um, I remember seeing, um, oh, fuck, I can't remember who it was. I, I think I might be quoting Gary Vaynerchuk, which makes me want to vomit, but um, <laughs> he was saying he had a friend who only had uh, 10 Twitter followers, but he was he ran a startup in Silicon Valley or something, and those 10 Twitter followers were Warren Buffett, um, fucking Steve Jobs, whatever. And the point is that that was an indication of his quality. It's kind of like he only attracted the people who knew the most mm. because they were the only people he could talk to. Nobody else could really understand the depth of what he was talking about. And I guess it's similar, mm. right? Like general population aren't going to be interested in the stuff that you guys put out because it's going to be too much for them. Mm. And they don't want to hear things are hard and difficult and it's not all easy, right? Like, Completely when get it. People want, they want to hear crazy shit. They don't want to hear that you just need to focus on the basics for a really long time. <laughs> yeah, and consistency and time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then also kind of like dilutes it because like I, you know, I make freaking strong athletes, but then they don't hear the three, four, five years it's taken for them to to get there. Mm. So when I, when I first took up, when I first took up powerlifting, there wasn't as much of that huge separation between, you know, who are like crazy strong mm. and new people coming in. We we're like all within reach of each other. So it didn't seem so as absurd. So the culture's a little different. We we're just all super competitive. And then now it's so, so far apart. People have done it for so long now. And you've got these absolutely crazy people who seem to come out of nowhere, but they just, you know, they've been training forever and just decide to expose themselves now mm. because of social social media. Like where do these people, where mm. do these people come from? But, you know, and then now people because they only see the instant uh, results that they, these people are getting, um, it's kind of changed your view on how fast people want to make, yeah, make progress, you know, and it just won't, just won't happen, yeah. especially with strength, you know, 
well, I guess, body composition as well. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you, you look at it like we were talking about this yesterday. I mean, if you want to be at the top level of strength, you're, you're in it for seven to nine years. You're not going to mm. you're not going to have a 80 kilo bench press to be benching 300 kilos in a year. It's not going to happen. And the people think that that's possible and they go, well, I'll just take drugs. Even with drugs, they're not magic. They help, but that's not going to get you there. It's going to get you there faster, but it's not going to fix everything. We discussed that before. You, you don't in, you don't inject a steroid and become the Hulk, right? And I think that's what a lot of normal people think. You, the, those people who lift these big weights, even if they're juiced or not, they've still got to go in the gym and do the fucking work. Like it, they're yeah. still lifting the weight, right? So obviously it makes it easier and the results speak for themselves. I would say it's like what 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 foundation what foundation are they take are they ta- are they taking these drugs? Because if you are not making progress and then want to take drugs to make progress, then that progress is only going to by be limited by simply just by taking making those mm-hmm. um, those uh, chemical changes in the, in the in the body. There's no additional stimulus mm. or you're not using it to its full advantage yeah. compared to the other other way yeah. where it's like build a solid foundation and this is an assistance to continue that progression yeah. or an assistance to make mm. enhance that recovery i lifted for 13 years and competed in powerlifting and i was already 110 kilos before i ever touched a steroid mm. and i tell people that and they're like really yeah i mean I, you didn't i didn't need it you know you're a teenager you definitely don't need it yeah. You, if you've lifted for a few years, you probably don't need it. Mm. But you have people now, it's like they just start lifting and three months of lifting, you're like, okay, what do I need to take? It's like, mm. no, you need to lift for a few years, see what you can do, get to your natural limit, mm. and then think about it after that. And always say, like, know what works. Because what works for you, not in terms of gear, but in terms of food and nutrition and training. Yeah. And mm. know your body well enough to know if something, if you are, are or are not responding. Because... Then you're not just relying on what in, people end up doing. It's just like I'll pile more drugs, all right? I'll take 500 milligrams now, 750 now, a gram, and then two grams, and then fucking trend, and then fucking debo, and then, and then they end up just being this chemical mess. Yeah, you know. <laughs> and I, I, I'm appalled by how much people take these days. Yeah, I don't know if it's. I mean, I've got a theory about it that because most of the stuff's underground, like 95% of the storage you're going to see are underground. And yeah, getting yeah. really good pharmaceutical stuff is difficult and it's really expensive. So I'm guessing a lot of people got underdosed stuff, so they just kept taking more and more. Mm. And then when they got really good stuff, they didn't take less. So I've seen I've seen both bodybuilders and powerlifters on a gram of trend. It's like, why are you on a gram of trend? It's the only thing that works. And then they, they actually get real trend, and they're on a gram, and now they've got really high blood pressure. They're mm. super ragey. They're bl- their nose bleeds all the time. They go, I don't know what's happening. I'm like, mm. you're on too much fucking trend. Mm. And then people that want to take trend for the first cycle, that's big boy shit. Like people don't understand how powerful it is. Just take test, take test first and just see how you go with that. And if that's not enough, then after a few rounds, a few cycles, then throw something else in there, you know, throw DECA in there or throw whatever, depending on what sport you're at, or something mild, just as a little boost. Mm. And then, you know, as you get bigger, start thinking about adding more and more things instead of just jumping on, you know, four grams of shit for your first cycle and one, and, and not even knowing how to train or eat right so you still look like garbage. So someone said something. Uh, I listened to a podcast. He goes, you shouldn't fucking be, you shouldn't be fucking measuring testosterone in grams. You measure protein in grams, not freaking <laughs> testosterone. Well, most, most of the Australian guys I see, I go, okay, before we start, what are you on? They're like, I'm on a mill of this, a mill of this, a mill of this. That doesn't tell me. I need to know how many milligrams you're on. Oh, I just take a mill. But 
okay, is it 100 milligrams per mil? Is it 400 mil? I don't know. I don't know what you're on. So I mm. can't really tell you what you're on unless we know what those are. And no one, no one here for whatever thinks that way, that they need to measure how many actual milligrams. Your body doesn't know what a mil is. It, that's, there's no, that's not the active ingredient. We need mm. to know how much shit you're actually putting in your body. Mm. I get shocked every time, like just how, just you, you think you, you would take, take for granted in terms of base, just some basic line knowledge about the approach to taking uh, anabolics. And just, it's just not there, is it? Mm. Just not there. But there's that. Sounds like there's a just a genuine knowledge gap, like for, for it's the a taboo ab- topic too. It's just one of those things that just don't. Well, get- the, the more nobody discusses it, the worse it's going to get, right? Because people are just going to be fucking. What you said, paying paying attention. I talked to a guy probably five weeks ago who was taking two milligrams of Arimidex a day. Fuck. And I'm like, he's like, my memory's shot, like my skin's dry, I can't sleep, all this stuff's happening to me. I'm like, you probably don't have any estrogen in your body anymore and he's like well estrogen is bad right is a 20 20 <laughs> 21 year old guy estrogen's bad right is there like, no estrogen's not bad you, you need estrogen what are you doing he goes well it made me really dry i'm like yeah but now you're all fucked up this is going to take me a while to fix you fucking hell and i've seen the same thing like the stupidity coming from um um boyfriends their the boyfriend's uh advice to their to their girlfriends like they'll put them on the exact same thing that they're doing it's like okay you need to take some remedex as well and it's like man you're like absolutely like they meant to have these hormones in their body and they actually fucking stripping it and they're making them doing you know the same post-course therapy the same anti-estrogen stuff and it's just like fuck yeah i remember when i i mean 15, 16 years ago, like Anavar, like 12 and a half milligrams was a big dose per day. Mm. And now I know girls taking 25 milligrams of that. Winstrol, nobody would touch Winstrol. If they did, it was like two milligrams a day. I know girls on 50 milligrams of Winstrol now. I know girls on Trend. I know girls, bikini girls who are on massive amounts of growth and peptides. Mm. Like you don't even need, you don't even need to look that good to do bikini. No. What are you doing? Wow. You just do I mean, if you're, fo- if, you're fo- if you're doing bikini, I mean, if you're taking drugs for bikini, I mean, frick, fuck. Like, Something's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> in, 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 unless you're a pro, but if you're doing bikini for amateur, you don't probably don't need anything, right? If you're a pro, yeah, okay, now maybe it's not take unrealistic, yeah. Primo if you can find real Primo, but it's like you're doing all this shit for a plastic trophy, and you're probably never going to go pro because you train like a pussy, <laughs> and you won't eat to put on muscle. So just do a photo shoot and get off all the drugs. Yeah. Yeah, not mess yourself up. I mean, I think you, you said you got sick of fixing, sick of fixing yeah. people too, and because um, I've done some good work with some other girls in, in the past, and because of that, because I, I did this this really good job with it, where I spent like a prep was like a year, year and a half long, and they got on stage, one looked great, healthy, still eating heaps, no re- like no re- like no freaking bad rebound, um, and then I started getting people who were fucked up because I did so well with these other girls and, and not realizing that, well, we don't have to spend like two years. And then, and, and literally that was it. But one, one of the girls I got, it took like nearly two years before we can just have baseline training and nutrition to sustain what we have. Um, because if we go outside of what they were doing already, the, the crazy shit they're doing already, they start to blow out. They start to go, they start to 
not respond how yeah. a normal human being should respond. Yeah, we you get know. that all the time. Girls that have, have done it the wrong way and they didn't even look good. They look like shit mm. and they come to you and they're all kinds of jacked up. Their labs look like shit. Their symptoms are shit. You're like, look, this is going to take a while to fix. Like, It's going to take probably at least a year to mm. even get, get some traction. And then you try to overfeed them. You know, they're eating 1,100 calories. You try to put them on 2,400 calories. They gain two kilos and they freak out, go back to 1,000 calories. And mm. then you spend two years just trying to get them to the point where they understand that they can eat and that weight gain is not fat. It's just it's fat-free mass. If I give you more carbs, you're going to hold more water. You're going to gain a little bit of weight. That's fat-free mass. Don't worry about it. So we've had even gone to the extent of making girls get in a sauna or getting into a hot bath and weigh themselves before and after to see the drop. Say, okay, you didn't just lose 2.2 kilos of fat, you lost water. So we can keep pumping your food up, you're fine. If you start to get fluffy, that's okay. We can always take it off. But sometimes it takes, like I said, two years to get their head wrapped around the process of actually needing to gain weight if they want to fix all their shit. Yeah. And I think most most of the hurdles is psychological, because you'll be you'll think they're on the right track and psychologically in the right track, and then they'll come back to you a few days later and, and it's like what the fuck happened? Yeah. Like where did your head go <laughs> in those few days that you think this is all failing and this is not working anymore yeah. and that yeah. And the best is when you're like, how are you sleeping? I'm sleeping great. How's your guts? They're better. How's your training? Awesome. Okay, but I gained two kilos now. I'm gonna starve myself. It's like. Fuck, focus on the shit that matters. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that's like one reason why, too, now I just don't want to, I don't want to work with them any, I don't want to work with them anymore because it's just always more work than it ever yeah. ends up being. And then, mm. you know, because I already, already try to plan out like how, how, much, how much I'm going to work with people. Plus, I think I'm just getting less and less interested in working with, with that population now yeah. um, and taking a quite a strong, um, performance performance approach now so just so much more enjoyable so um you working much with you're working much with performance athletes yeah, on yeah i mean most of the people that i train now are high performance um cool. whether they're competing or not so like uh a lot of them are ultra marathoners somehow i've like fallen into the endurance athlete thing i don't mm. know oh, why interesting. or okay. hybrid or hybrid athletes like i've got uh I have one guy, Costa in Adelaide. He's he's like the fucking Terminator. He's like the Greek Terminator. So mm. he hired me because he wanted to have a double body weight front squat and he wanted to PR his 12K run. And I go, could could you pick two goals? And he wanted to do it in like three months. Could you, could you pick two goals that weren't, that they're a little closer? Yeah. Instead of, so, and we did it. We shaved four minutes off of his 12K and he had a double body weight front squat. And then he's like, yeah, I like being strong. I'm gonna do a powerlifting meet. I'm like, sweet. So we did a powerlifting meet, he won. Uh, best lifter and then he went in PR to his 12k again then he's like I want to run a marathon but I also want to do a powerlifting meet he did another powerlifting meet one best lifter again uh, then he wanted to take his powerlifting meet up but then he started getting the typical niggles that you get mm. in powerlifting he goes nah it's not worth it so now he's gone back into triathlon aquathon marathon and just did his first marathon but you know I don't train a lot of people anymore but They'll only, I think I only trained four or five people and most of them are either pretty high level or they're really fucked up. <laughs> so I've got, I've got two excellent coaches, Shane and Ben, that, that basically do everything else because I'm too busy to take on clients now. Um, and I was getting, mm -hmm. uh, I was getting a client ready for pro raw, but then it got canceled. Yeah, that sucked. 
it really sucked. We had yeah. we had um, this is where I really got to try the velocity based training. The, um, we had a sem- had a seminar <clears throat> for the listeners. The, we had a seminar yesterday on velocity based training. You came to it, and yeah. those experiment a lot of those experiments was actually during that prep <clears throat> um, because it's going to be the most controlled environment because there we got the people at the absolute top and we got people who are going to follow everything i say mm. um and so i got really good data really really good data data from that and um that's where i had sarah she hit that 250 257 and a half yeah kilo squat and she would have killed she would have killed that comp absolutely killed that comp because i said if we could go to bench back to where it was it's like we were gonna win. We were gonna win that competition, and then I had a seventeen-year-old kid who went from 240 squat to two seventy squat at the age of seventeen. Crazy, you know. And so there's, yeah, I would have. That was a big bummer because it would have been like, mm. like the proof at the end, at the end of the, at the end of the journey. Even though we still hit those numbers, but the, you know, powerlifting world. If you haven't hit in, in a comp, it's not, it's not official. Yeah, but. Um, it's funny, um, you and I talked about this, like the difference of where I'm from versus moving here and the difference in people who lift because in Texas, everybody lifts. They're all corn-fed country boys. So they, yeah, lift, yeah. they lift for American football and mm. also we start competing in powerlifting when we're 14. And so seeing seeing guys doing 500-pound squats, 550-pound squats is like common. Mm. Like that's You go to any gym and there's a dozen guys who can put four plates on a bench and you know five or six plates on a squat. And then I got here and you, you just never see that. No. So that hearing a 17 year old that's that strong, like that's to me, Texas strong, mm. but you, you never see that here because mm. most of the young kids are too interested in looking good. And so they do fluffy bodybuilder work and you don't see, you see a lot of younger bodybuilders, but you don't see a lot of younger powerlifters. Mm. Is powerlifting culture pretty strong? Huge. Pretty strong there. Huge. When I was, uh, when I was, went in high school, so we, we, we do multi-sport, right? So you do football and then you mm. do basketball. And then there's kind of a lag in the wintertime before track and field starts and, and also baseball. So I talked to my coach when I was 14 and I said, listen, um, can we start? I wanted to wrestle. I always wanted to like yeah, be a yeah. grappler, right? But in Texas, that's not a big thing. It's mainly in the, the North Midwest yeah, yeah, and yeah. also in, in the Northeast. And so I said, can we start wrestling? He goes, we can't start wrestling because there's we can't wrestle anybody. Mm-hmm. So, but why don't we start powerlifting? And I went, yeah, let's do powerlifting. So we started a powerlifting team and we fucking dominated. Like we destroyed everybody. We had excellent coaches that were all powerlifters and ex-collegiate football players. So we were taught how to do things right. So everybody went to state, everybody won everything all the time. Then when I left high school and went to college, I kind of fell out of that and got into bodybuilding for a little bit of time. And then I got bored with bodybuilding and went back into powerlifting. But you know, like I told you yesterday, that's when all the supportive gear got kind of insane, like yeah, double, yeah. double, triple denim, custom shirts and shit. And I, I hated it. Like mm. I'd never that I was always it's you in a singlet and shoes and the bar and that's mm. it. So I refused to wear the supportive gear. I was the idiot that would buy an Enzo Rage X and I would show up to the meet and put it on for the first time at the meet. Mm. The only way I was going to win is using the shirt. Uh, and I think my last I did a bench only contest 
and I ended up dumping the bar and almost breaking my elbows because the spotters didn't catch it in time. Mm. Um, and I, after that, I was like, fuck this, I'm done. I'm done. So there wasn't, there was no raw. It was just one category. And Nobody did raw. Put, and you just put on anything you wanted. Pretty much. Yeah. It was yeah. almost at that, that time, almost unrestricted. I and mean, they had some contests that were like single ply only, but most of it was whatever you showed up in. Yeah. You so know. that would have been IPF still only single, IPF single ply would back still then. be, yeah. Yeah. But most of the other ones that you would do, um, was the USPF and some of the other ones I, I lifted in the USPF and it was still, you know, most of it was bring what you can. And then they kind of went just getting in the single ply stuff, but mm. I fucking hated it. Mm. That's the same. That's, that's, is that the Federation of West side? West side. There's so many now that USPF wasn't theirs. I can't remember that. Yes. A lot of, a lot of those. SPF is the, what it is now, isn't it? No. Fuck if I know. I think it was APF back then. Yeah. And then people started leaving there because, you know, you were talking about powerlifting not being a subjective sport. Well, sometimes depth can be. Oh, yeah. And so people started getting mad because people were breaking records, but they weren't going to depth. It's like that. It's not. Right. You don't yeah. have the record. You were two inches too high. Like that's not a full squat. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Goes both ways though. You see, you see, you got a meet where that's just too strict, and then you got a meet that yeah. it's just. And there's also the politics. Like there, you say there's politics and um, body bodybuilding was just in powerlifting as well. And this is why federations have changed, you know, and new people take create new federations or take over and or get, you know, just not managed properly. And I've had a few people who got used to compete in. Um, oh, I won't name stuff. Um, <laughs> But then they'll go to a federate. They'll go to a, one of the old, you know, old school federations. And but because they're part of a newer federation, they uh, kept calling them on depth. But this person was known to be someone who was deep as fuck. Yeah. Like, and but just because you're associated with something else, they decided just to not call them on depth. And then so he had to like really prove this thing. Cause he ended up doing like, he ended up doing like three fifty paused at the bottom just to prove a point, and then got it, and then got it up, and it's like well. We, no way we can try to get out yeah. of this one but yeah i mean this i think uh, i feel the sport in australia now is just it's it's, it's getting it's getting better yeah. it's getting better and a bit more better people in charge or better people who are trying to actually make it grow you, you would think with technology these days that they could put a video camera and i was just about like to say that a, or a, a fucking laser meat or something yeah, just and, and have the computer say whether it was at depth or not yeah. so no one could ever complain anymore it could even do it relative to knee and hip angle and all that That's stuff it. and it would just go well, go light would go green and then you just yeah press right hmm. well, kind of controversy that would bring up yeah. with people Fuck, would it be <laughs> Well, it'd be like oh, people have tried. So I, I go, to, I go to, I go to all the AGM meetings with um, where people put emotions to change the rules and stuff. And they had, were going to one mm. people suggested putting in video cam, and it just got thrown down mm. every time. These being brought in a few times, um, I can't remember the points, but they did bring up really good, really good points on why they're not going to use video. And one part of it is that it is the rules to get for the judges to pa to pass it. Mm. Um, and it was just would have made it messy in some ways, mm. but yeah. Um, and back when we were doing it, like, um, when I first started, we were talking about this, uh, before, um, you, you have mostly, mostly equipped. So most of the information I get, it was, I don't know if it was the same to you, but most of the information we had at the time was still kind of from the equipped yeah. lifters and um i remember 
um, if you look at some of my really, really old squats, it looked like I had a, uh, I was lifting raw, but it looked like I had a multi-ply suit on, you know, the ultra wide, ultra, ultra wide, wide yeah. stance, trying to, trying to be up, trying to be more upright. Um, and it's just like, I mean, squats are just completely different now. They've taken a more, well, they're own, they're own, it's a, they're both two separate. You can treat it as two different coaching methods now, yeah. training methods, because they're just so diverged uh, now. Was that the same? Um, they, we were doing mainly West Side stuff, but I kind of did my own thing. Even yeah. when I, even when I was in poly, uh, powerlifting groups, I would kind of do my own thing because they would. They, it was the Wild West, man. They were doing crazy shit. I remember, yeah. I remember, I got into a fight on a forum with a guy who had a private powerlifting. Um, club and it was just like four or five of them out of his garage and one of my buddies that i worked with uh trained with them and competed with them and he was like hey you should talk to this guy luke he's been he's been powerlifting since he was 14. i think he'd be a good addition so the guy the guy the guy that owned it probably only powerlifted for about two years but he was a guy that would go to all the seminars so he thought he knew what he was talking about so he starts talking shit to me one day online and he goes you come out here and you show us what you got i said all right so I showed up and I was in boots, jeans, and a, a singlet. And I walked in, they were getting done with their warm-ups, and I think they had 450 on the bar doing box squats. And I said, you missed the warm-up. I go, I don't need to warm up. So I just walked in, <laughs> fucking cranked it, walked out, <laughs> left. I got a message two days later, hey man, you wanna come uh, You wanna come be part of our club? I'm like, yeah, if you stop talking shit. Mm. Like, I've got a bit more experience than you do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But yeah, they were doing, and they would do, stupid stupid shit they went to, uh they went to a metal militia uh, seminar so they came back and they go all right we're going to do dynamic effort um uh, two and three board bench press i go okay they put the two board on and they're slamming the bar into the board and then ricocheting it off their chest yeah and every time you see it you see their chest like cave in two or three inches mm. and so it got my turn to get on the bar and i'm like i'm not fucking doing that like, fuck that i don't need to do stupid shit like that you're gonna break a rib Mm. And uh, I didn't last long at that. Yeah. Uh, I changed the music too because they were all back then. Everybody wanted to be West Side, so they were all fat, they were all bald, and they all had goatees, and they all listened <laughs> to like Satan Thrasher music, that real right. fucking annoying shit. And I'd walk in, I'm like, I'm not, I'm not listening to this. So I'd pull Jay Z out of my car and put the CD in and start playing Jay Z, and they're all like, What are you doing? I'm like, I can't, I'm not listening to that shit. So right, that, that's interesting because you generally fall into two camps right we left like i i, I train to hip-hop you tend to train to the thrasher stuff right yeah yeah, um, yeah. sorry <laughs> i can't do it it's too angry for me i i i started in the sport when i was still a bit old yeah pretty yeah, old yeah. school um where the only thing in the gym was deadlift platform squat rack yeah yeah okay chains and boards everywhere yeah like that was that was the gym and um it was, it was so funny. I remember a mate of mine. He, he was he was like in deep in the bodybuilding world, and I was deep in the powerlifting world at the time. And he was just so thrown back when he when he walked in, because it's like the gym owner at the time is like uh, he was sitting at his desk, no shirt on. Uh, he had a bowl of sausages. He was just eating from a his <laughs> barbecue, and then he had his dog. He's feeding his dog with some sausages, and it's like, oh, I'm just coming to have a session. It's like, come on in, yeah. and that was it. And it was like. Yeah, it's just it's so different now. So different now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I do miss I do miss how it was. It was a kind of a kind of a strong club. Yeah. Strong family. But um it's good though. It's going in a right it's going in a good yeah, direction. Yeah, yeah. I'd 
I'd really like to see some of these uh, social justice warriors talking about toxic masculinity come in on the session of the old school session. And you'll yeah. see what toxic masculinity really means. Oh man, that was so much, that was so much fun those days. <laughs> and same same thing too. It was like, um, man, the shit we did was freaking stupid sometimes, you know. And it was like we just different. You just like different humans. Then we've gotten a lot smarter, a lot smarter now. Because I broke myself so many times trying to do mm. some of the things we're doing, various types of stuff we're doing, like some of um, West Side stuff. We're doing a lot of Russian, a lot of Russian stuff because they're kind of the only thing. It's like West Side and Russian, r- Russian powerlifting yeah. it was like the only two kind of bits of information we were getting all our programs from. And those Russian programs, have you done any of them? uh like shiko and stuff yeah. like that yeah that, yeah that will break you real fast <laughs> i did i did i don't think i did i did shiko for like uh, about two and a half years straight Fuck. um and uh the worst one was during 2013 i ran three weeks cycle so i did states i did states nationals and then no four comps states nationals pro raw i know states nationals worlds then pro raw six um by the time i got to by the time i got to worlds um i had the craziest like fatigue it was so bad that it didn't matter how much i slept i just would not 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 be awake i was just mm-hmm. such extreme fatigue but i was still going in every day trying to hit every set and then you know knees were freaking breaking my freaking shoulders were breaking everything was just breaking but in that back then that mindset was just just keep going. That's just a, keep going. That's just, a good keep thing, going. Right? just keep yeah. going. Um, and then I backed up. With, didn't do so well at Worlds, and then just backed up with another comp, Pro Raw, Pro Raw Six, at the time. And uh, that's from that from that day. It took me took me about from that Pro Raw Six. It took me about three years to recover. Three years to get back to normal. Yeah. Jesus. So, yeah, I was full on. Wow. And after those three years, the sport was completely different. Yeah. You know what I when I what I was doing back then was like freaking the best there there was at the time, and then and then it was like child's play. It yeah, just yeah, moved yeah. so quickly. I just I was thinking about this on the drive over about what we used to do in high school, and you would it'd be too much. You would compete every Saturday. And I'm like, <laughs> fuck! Like I used to mm. compete every Saturday for two to two and a half months straight. Like now you look at it and go, what the fuck were we doing? Like, yeah. <laughs> fucking stupid. But then you also like, I always say, because all the, all kind of all the coaches that are, the powerlifting coaches that are kind of around, now we're all kind of that original little group. And I think the best thing about it is that we learnt from all the mistakes, from every single possible yeah, mistake. You it all but not only me. that, yeah. we kind of built the sport from scratch mm. so we knew all the new things coming in and coming out and the changes that have occurred so it's like we had this really deep foundation understanding of just powerlifting powerlifting sport and how it's developed so then we know mm. so much more so much better than um someone new coming mm. in who just can't get that same mm. same experience so i think the only way i've ever made it as far as i did and as a powerlifting coach and i think it's like it's the end now i don't think anyone else can make it to that to that level in terms of powerlifting coaching because I got in at the right time when it was still so very so very yeah. small and been around since it's since it's boom so especially with raw I was really surprised when I moved here how big powerlifting is here mm. bodybuilding is pretty big too mm. um, like growing up powerlifting 
is big in Texas, but it wasn't really that big anywhere else. And bodybuilding was pretty much non-existent except for all the weirdos, you know? <laughs> yeah, and yeah. then it's just gotten, this is blown up and it's blown up for a lot of good things and also a lot of bad things too, especially the bodybuilding stuff. Mm. Yeah. And, that bodybuilding. and everybody's a coach now. Everybody's a bodybuilding coach. You go and do, you know, you go to a, a fucking, you become Alice Springs bodybuilder 2020 and all of a sudden it's your first comp and now you're a comp coach. Yeah. And it's like you were on stage, you find out somebody got their pro card because they were on stage with three people. It's like you were just the least shitty looking one. Somehow you get your pro card. Man. And now everyone has, uh, it's like their Instagram now, name now. Everyone that has coach. It. Yeah. Or, 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 or pro. Or pro. Yeah, it's just another way that people are just desperate to turn what they love into some form of professional endeavor right like and and that's where the i guess the lines get blurred because people are willing to not be very good at it and take on people who they're not going to get any results with but if they're getting paid and they get to train all day that's that's kind of what they want to be known as a coach rather than I don't think they're doing it from your perspective where you're bringing people in, you're getting results. Like, that's the reason you're working with people. Whereas I think there's a lot of people who just want to, they want to be a coach because they just want a professional lift, I guess. You know mm. what, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. they just want to be a professional fitness industry person, right? Mm. And they'll do it any way they can. Like, some people go down the selling supplements route. Some people go down the fucking doing the merch thing. Right, everybody's got a different angle, but that—that's just the outcome, isn't it? Mm. Right. Like, what blows my mind the most with the bodybuilding is you could literally fuck up a hundred people, and people still come to you for coaching. There's the one WBFF coach that gave the guy the fentanyl patch and killed him. He still got a business. He just rebranded. Like, nice. What the fuck? <laughs> nice. I think if they like they they they, they sell they sell emotion and it's just like if they just they've mastered that and it doesn't matter what they've done. Oh, well, no you, one, could, you could tell a fucking person off the street who's desperate for change. I can deliver that change to you, and they'll they will not look at the evidence base on that. They'll be like, "Oh fuck, I want that to be true." Okay, what do you need? And they'll just hand the money yeah. over. I think this is where, as a good coach, you need to be able to separate that. Yeah, their their goal, the goals, and the emotion that drives those emotion that drives their goals. And then what is really the end goal, yeah. you know? And that's uh, a harder conversation than most people think. Yeah. Like, that is hard to get out of some people, really hard. Um, we, we we had it a couple of weeks ago and you couldn't get it out of me, could you? No, you don't know what you want. I don't fucking have a clue. <laughs> and I sit, I sit next to him fucking talking for hours about this shit. And, I, I, and then he hits me with the questions. And I'm like, shit, I don't, I don't really know. <laughs> Just want to be stronger, I think. Like, yeah. yeah. Then let's get strong. <laughs> See where it takes us. See what story builds. Um, so, what are you doing with muscle nerds now? Mm. That's a good question. Um, now with the COVID stuff, it's kind of put a spanner in the works, hasn't it? Mm. I think right now it's just um, going back and refining some of our co courses, uh, putting more stuff online. Yeah. Yeah. Right now, yeah, I've yeah. been doing a lot of research and and coming up with new stuff, trying to be innovative. You know, um, and then making sure our gym doesn't go bankrupt. <laughs> yeah, bad timing. Yeah, yeah. I buy, buy a gym and five days later I have to close it immediately. I'm like this is fantastic. Oh shit! Really? It was that that yeah. soon? Oh, Luckily, we we've, we've made it work. So we've gotten all the clients back plus some, and now more people are training. So it's been good. 
It's been good. It's just making That's it sustain. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Continuing okay. to grow it a little bit. She got an interesting que- uh, a question. I kind of do want to do want to know is this? Um, I've been I've been working kind of like been educating for you know running workshops and lectures for about probably three years three years now, and um, it's slowly worked more and more towards co- coaches and athletes now, and that's where it's just kind of my content's changed and it's more suited to those those individuals. But I want to break into it a lot more. How have you gone breaking into that industry, that education industry? Uh, I mean, the first thing was I working for Charles. Yeah. Um, and back then, back then it was one of the, to work for him. He had to choose you and then ask you if you wanted to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, you couldn't just become an educator back then. You mm-hmm. couldn't just like we didn't have social media like it is now. So mm-hmm. you couldn't just like put out videos and all of a sudden start educating people. You, yeah. you basically a mentor chose you and you got into it like that. And so that's how I got into it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And fuck, I was awful at first. I, I'd never done, I was scared to death to public speak. Mm-hmm. And what ended up happening when I showed up and Charles wasn't there anymore, they had hired Dr. James LeBow to come in and revamp a lot of the stuff and put more science-based evidence-based stuff into the program. And, the old biosig was 275 slides. When I showed up, there was 550, and he had thrown a bunch of them out and replaced them. Mm. And I got those slides about two days before I had to give my first seminar. Shit. So I showed up. I had no idea. I was looking through the slides going, fuck, I've got to figure out how to teach this. And then when I was uh, in the middle of teaching, uh, one of my contacts ripped, and I didn't have my glasses with me. So <laughs> half the time, I had to sit in front of my computer and just try to look at the computer I couldn't even stand up and lecture and I was basically just reading off the slides because I couldn't do anything else and it fucked me up so I just it was kind of a sink or swim thing and just learn really fast the second one was in Manchester so I'd never been to Europe so I'm in this class with all these people I can't understand a word anybody's saying because all the accents (laughs) and I'm in front of a hundred and something people in in a a big ass hotel and I remember this this guy I think he was Irish and he kept saying, can you do this? And I, kept, I was going, are you saying can or can't? Can or can't? And if, I don't know what happened to my voice, but my voice got some weird mangled Irish accent and I said, cunt. <laughs> and I immediately stopped and the, you could hear a pen drop. Right. And I put my hand over my mouth and I was like, ooh, shit. And everybody started laughing. And I go, why are you guys laughing? They're like, that's words not a big deal here. Yeah, if yeah, you yeah. said that in America, they would, grab pitchforks and torches yeah, yeah, and try yeah, to yeah, string yeah, you up, yeah. right? So, uh, yeah, so that kind of broke me in a little bit. And then every time I gave another presentation, it just got better and better. And then- yeah. Couldn't get worse. Yeah, yeah, it's all, <laughs> it's all uphill from there, right? <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, and then, you know, I take it, the, the lecturing I take very seriously. So I've done a lot of courses on how to give uh, better presentations and things like that, like super uncomfortable courses yeah. uh coaching and that type of thing right, they make okay. you do ridiculous shit to get better and now it's nothing yeah yeah mm. but it was just uh i spent a lot of time just helping people for free on forums and that got charles's attention and doing a lot of courses and then bringing on mm. and then assisting and then getting kind of more comfortable more comfortable and then being turned loose on people and i love it i love it it's not for everybody especially yeah, when you do it internationally and you're flying all the time but to me, there's nothing better than when I'm in front of people giving a performance, and that's how I look at it. Like yeah, I, yeah. I don't fuck around. That's the one thing I can say I'm real fucking good at is, right. is educating. 
Um, that's I, that's where I think I found my found my passion. Is that I kind of you kind of get to express the full extent the full extent of your knowledge by trying to get someone else to understand the yeah. whole complexity of it. And um, yeah, I I I really want to break more and more into the market. And um, yeah, like I've managed to have up to like I think like eighty people at one yeah. workshop. It got pretty good. Did a lot of free work, a lot of free work, a lot of free courses. Uh, you have to, right? Yeah, you have to. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it was exhausting, you know, because you, as you probably know, building content is a lot of bloody work. Yeah. And then not only that, you're refining workshop after workshop after workshop. But um, your slides are amazing. Okay. Your <laughs> slides are fucking amazing. I'm looking at your slides going, why can't I make slides like that? Fuck. Um, what about when you came to Australia made muscle nerds? How yeah. how did you break that industry? Break into that industry? You know what? We kind of just fell into it. Um, when when I left Pollockin Group, I didn't have a job and my wife didn't have a job. She mm-hmm. quit both of her jobs and sold her car and flew to America to be with me. And then we all of a sudden found ourselves with no money and no job. Mm-hmm. But when I announced the fact that I left Pollockin Group, I had hundreds of people message to want me to do workshops because mm-hmm. they wanted to work with me, but they didn't want to work with Pollockin Group. Right. So we were like, how are we going to get home? Like, we need to get back to either New Zealand or we need to get back to Australia. How are we going to do this? Um, and then we had a guy in Kuwait say, Hey, I've got 30 coaches here. Will you come and teach your stuff to them? And I said, yes. And I had a guy in Dubai asked me to do the same thing. So that got us to Dubai and Kuwait and then got us home. And then we did one in New Zealand. And then we came over here, we did one at Gold Coast and then it just kind of blew up from there. But it was, it was insane because we didn't know anything about business. Mm -hmm. So we were just and we were broke. So it was like massive you know, chasing our tail and being very reactive about things and just like, hey, will you come to Manchester? Yes. Will you come to Hong Kong? Yes. You just got to jump on every opportunity, don't you? That's it. And then Zoe and I couldn't be in the same country with each other for more than three months. So it was like we just traveled nonstop for two years. Mm. So we built a lot of cash flow, but we were still broke because we had to stay in hotels and Airbnbs and we couldn't stay in the same country for very long. Yeah. So it was just like country hopping all the time. And then I finally got my visa here and then we moved here. Mm. And so you kind of here in Australia, you've, is, is it a, is it a, is it a, like a, a, an ongoing education business here yeah. as well? Yeah. Australia and London are our two biggest markets. Okay. Um, America and Canada is not, that great, mm. um, especially America, because a lot of the people in America, they want to learn TRX and BOSU bullshit. They have some weird aversion to learning the science part. Then mm. Canada is no good because it's very expensive to fly in Canada. So if you go to Canada, they want you to go to Vancouver, Montreal and yeah, Toronto. Yeah. They won't actually fly to you. It's like, fuck you. I can do one. They don't understand how expensive it is to do it on an international level. It costs tens of thousands of dollars to mm. fly somewhere, rent a room, do all that stuff. It's like, no, you can fly to me. I just flew from Australia. I flew f- 24 hours to give this. You can fly two hours to me. They won't fucking do it. Right. It's insane. Mm. Um, so we do a lot of work in Europe. We do a lot of work here, and that's the majority of what we concentrate on. So a lot of the people here you're, you're teaching now are Australian? Yeah. Here in Australia? Yeah. How are you reaching that? So how are you reaching that market? Is this just stalled through mainly word of mouth? Yeah, it's just the reputation of word of mouth. It's just yeah. kind of, it's just kind of blown up. Yeah, that's I, it. Eh? Yeah, it's, that's it. You just gotta have that. Rep- you just gotta have the reputation. I think that's something that takes years to build, isn't yeah. it? 
so that's the thing. I mean, you build a reputation like what you have, and the people that want to learn that stuff will want to come. Yeah. And they won't make excuses. It's just a bad time right now to do it. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Because I've I, got. I want to do a symposium and bring a bunch of people from Europe and America that people here wouldn't normally get to see because they won't fly over there. And those people don't want to fly here. But if I could convince them to fly here, we'll do a symposium, kind of like Swiss, mm-hmm. try to do a yearly thing. But you know, now we can't do it yeah, until no that opens up. And they've. Um, I know they've been trying to. They're trying to do that at the. Um at Arnold's, so they started. They started their first one with uh, with a few people. I think they had Eddie Hall, Stephanie Coleman, uh, Doctor Locke, Sebastian Orib, um, and they're trying to grow that to be at Arnold's. But now that's dead too. Yeah. So. And I want to bring people over that people over here would never have heard of, mm. like out of the box thinkers and, and that's, people that's, who are innovating things. That's the thing. Like those those are the people I'm in. I'm always <laughs> interested in because like the people I've been following are the people who are just not popular. Yeah. At all. At all. So like I like. Um. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I meet heaps of the, I meet heaps of these people that that I'm that I talk to. Who are like, they only have like a thousand or two thousand two thousand followers, but yeah. they were just the absolute most craziest expert. And a lot of them spoke at Swiss, as well. And so I, I've gotten mentoring from a lot of the, a lot of a lot of those people that are already there. So I already knew a few people, a few people there. But no one's interested in wanting to meet or talk talk to those people. Yeah. But it's because of those people I've been able to solve very big tough problems. Mm-hmm. Um, and not only that, being out use that information to innovate in powerlifting and strength training. So well, you know why they don't have followers? They're too busy fucking working. Yeah. yeah. When, when your job isn't getting followers, you actually do work, and that's the people you want to learn from, not the people with a million followers that don't know shit. Mm. I think that's what, where, where people find it hard to distinguish between what is good and not so good yeah. information. But I think that's a, that's a that's a skill. It's a yeah. skill in itself. So I mean, a lot of the people that you see on YouTube and Instagram, they're just parroting other people's information. Yeah. So they're watching other people's videos and making their own video. Yeah. They don't actually understand the stuff. Mm. Like if you want to learn, go to the person who's they're learning from, go to the source and learn it because you know, my information changes all the time because I find new things in research and I try things. And so stuff that I was teaching three years ago is, yeah. is the same foundation, but there's a lot of stuff I've found that works mm. even better and faster don't go to somebody who did somebody's course three years ago. Go to the person who's actually writing the courses because they're the ones who actually understand the stuff at a deep mm, level. Yeah, I think someone yesterday someone said said to me, "It's like, oh, what's the best? What's the best course? What's the best course you've mm. done?" And the funny thing is, like, I have not done many courses. What I usually do is I come across a problem that I really want to solve, and I find the expert. Yeah, and I'll pay them whatever I need to pay just to sit down with them for a few hours and solve this problem and then not only that the way i ask questions of trying to why how do you understand how do you know to solve that problem and then that's where i start to and i find i retain 10 times better because i'm already trying to solve a problem so when i'm trying to solve that problem i i never forget that information so i seem to i seem to see a lot of people who go to a lot of courses and try and do a lot of research but don't apply it the same as i apply it anyway i seem to take it a lot further than a lot, I, than, than what I like to see with other coaches or other trainers, um, because they're not. I don't think it's been used directly into solving issues that they have. It's like course junkies, almost. Yeah. You know. Certification wars. Yeah. I mean, that's when people ask me how I've learned all this stuff. It's like I did the same thing. I spent the, my, all my twenties and my thirties finding who's the best at this, flying to see them, or calling them on the phone. Who's the best at this? Going to do this, buying this person's course that was good at this. That's all I did is study, and I still do that. I still i am taking four or five courses right now. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you've got to you got to stay on top of your game, and especially if you're going to be an educator, you got to constantly be researching and mm-hmm. trying new things and coming up with new ideas and, and stuff like that. So, yeah, that sounds like my whole journey is is yeah. your journey as well. Yeah, as um, a lot of reason I do this. Um, I'm but especially now it's gearing towards this, this podcast. There's more what I want to learn, but then that's the same stuff. You know, hopefully the audience that I'm talking to like want to know that as well. Yeah. You know, and I think that's what makes the interesting conversation is that I'm trying to figure out, you know, because every, everyone that we bring in are, are, are like yep. at a high level of their field and try to, you know, how do they how do they come to those conclusions? Because they may take a different path than I do, but they're all relevant, yeah. you know, um, and just makes, uh, builds a bigger picture. Yeah. So, yeah. But, um, yeah, I've never actually taken, I said, took, taken too many courses. I've only started taking courses in the last, um, actually only in the last six months or so. Yeah. Um, more time. You know, I want to keep my education up now because I now have the time to do. But there's, there's a difference between education. So I have this in, in my industry all the time, mm. right? All the time. So I get people from film school who want tips on how to do stuff. And I have to tell them, well, I've never been to film school, I've never taken a course. And I have to teach them, I have to unteach them all the shit they've learned. And there's a difference between acquiring knowing how to acquire knowledge and knowing and, and doing courses. There's a big difference. Like, mm. I think a lot of people, like I said, it happens in my industry, they, they build up all these certificates. But then you, when you say, well, show me your work, it's shit, right? They can't put it together. They can't apply it. It doesn't, you have to, you have to, you have to have something to apply it to. And you have to, I think the idea of, having a problem and fixing the problem that and knowing how to access the information correctly. I think there's a, there's a, there was a conversation, uh, there was a Ted talk and I think Elon Musk has a school based on that approach mm. that rather than how the industry is built today of like, of, of the um, factory based working where everyone needs to learn how to use a screwdriver. Here's your certificate for using a screwdriver. Yeah. Then now, when you go find a job, you have to figure, you, you you just know how to use a screwdriver, but you haven't figured out what the screwdriver is for. Yeah. And so he said, instead of that, it's like give them a car to fix, figure out how to fix that car. Then they'll learn that okay, the screwdriver is for this, the wrench is for this, and then they build stronger connections. So I think it's the same with similar to people doing education, doing courses, is that. They have a lot of they they're learning a lot of little little things, but they're not knowing what problems, how that applies mm. to. Where I'm, I've always done things the other way. Yeah, I you have know. an athlete with this issue. How to fix it? Who do I need to talk to? Where's the knowledge? And it might you might still have to do a course. Yeah, but just yeah. having certificates doesn't equal knowledge, right? Like, a, well, another reason I'm doing courses too is I'm trying to learn how to present information. Of course, yeah. So, and I'm trying to fill all the gaps a bit a little bit more. So. Like I was saying in my head, I, I, if I don't have all the gaps filled, mm-hmm. it kind of drives me mental. So, um, I think well, like we get a lot of people um, in our foundations course because it's a lot of nutrition and yeah. gut health and, and stress and stuff like that. And we get a lot of dietitians and nutritionists that come in. And when I get to the like basic nutritional biochemistry, like carbohydrate metabolism, mm. they have no idea what I'm talking about. I'm like, right. don't you have a degree? They're like, yeah, but we don't learn any of this. Mm. Like, what the fuck do you learn? I learn if somebody has IBS, you do this and you don't do this. I'm like, then how are you, how are you going to ride a diet if you can't predict an outcome? And then if you mm. get to a roadblock, you don't know how to fix it. Mm. And they're like, well, that's why I'm here. I'm like, 
all right, cool. So let's teach you how to fix shit. Teaching people how to teaching people how to solve problems is yeah. is the key. And I, I think I think for me personally, I think what help I think definitely the one thing that's helped me is that I have a I have a background in physics. I majored in physics. I have a very strong understanding of the scientific method and how that method works and how to look at data and research and evidence and mm-hmm. to know what it, try and determine what is real and what is not not real. Um, and not only that, just the foundational knowledge of science, like anatomy, physiology, biology. Um, I found actually I found evolutionary biology probably one of the most helpful helpful things understanding why the body is the way it is um, through evolution. Um, but I think those have been the real, true, true fundamental things that helped me make all the connections more understand the connections a lot yeah. better. That's the same thing. When I got into the biochemistry stuff and looking at cell physiology and figuring out why the metabolism regulates itself in certain ways and how stress alters that and how lifestyle alters that and how training and, mm-hmm. and different types of diets and nutrition alters that, that learning that foundational chemistry allowed me to make big leaps in judgment on how things work and then not waiting for somebody to fucking research it. And then you, you also, when you're mm-hmm. reading nutritional research, you see where all the gaps are mm-hmm. and where when studies are just shit. And you'll see people, you know, throwing studies around and you go read the study and you're like, but this, this does not actually support your stance on anything. And you're using a three week study for people who aren't just going to diet for three weeks. Mm. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm. 100%. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm out of questions. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. An, an hour and a half. Well, um, it's been a pleasure having you on, man. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, some good tangents there. So, but I'm sure there's specific topics we could dive crazy, yeah. crazy deep into. It was a nice overall, good conversation about everything. So, yeah, yeah. Um, so muscle nerds, thank you. <laughs> sorry, for on. sorry for taking your name <laughs> on accident. Well, I don't know who took it first. Who had it first? I. You're, but you're not I using put, yours anymore, though, right? No, I still have the web. I still have the website. Yeah, I got dot com um, I think it was twenty twelve when I did when I had that name. I made it a business name. Yeah, I don't know. I don't trademark. I didn't trademark it, but I did make it. I did make it a business name. Right. So when did you do yours? Mm, but some. Probably twenty, probably twenty thirteen, but we did the trademark. Oh, you have to, you have to close it. Now, <laughs> yeah, we did the trademark in twenty fifteen. I think is when we did the trademark. I think I'm, I've closed it because I want to leave. I kind of finally fully leave what that was about. Um, I was very, I was in, I was in, I was in the middle, like with that. I was bodybuilding and powerlifting, strength, strength training, but then I'm pretty hyper focused on performance. Yeah, yeah. performance now. Body composition is still a major part of it and very important, but it's not mixed in the culture of bodybuilding anymore. Yeah. I'd, I'd say it's like body composition for performance, mm. you know, so, but performance mainly. Yeah. Yeah. So much more interesting and so much less messed up people. A lot less work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I feel there's more, I feel there's, well, there's this, there's this huge science to talk about. I just find the technicality behind performance just fasc- absolutely fascinating you know yeah anyway Gym science. Um, <laughs> all right man thanks for coming, thank you on. For coming on yeah thanks for having me cool that's awesome